Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. for tuning in for this Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Carmen has the day off, actually the week off, apart from tomorrow night's live stream event on our our Faith Radio Facebook and YouTube channels. More information about that at MyFaithRadio.com. Got a packed hour of some best of conversations. In the second half, we're going to hear a conversation again with Addison Bevere, a book called Saints. You're going to want to listen to that. Actually, you're you're just going to want to listen to this hour because it is going to be a powerful, powerful hour. Let's uh, get it underway here pretty quickly. I mentioned it a little while ago, a conversation that Carmen had with Lori and Matt Krieg back in November about their book, An Impossible Marriage. Stay with us. joining me now we are going to talk about an impossible marriage that is the title of their brand new book Lori and matt welcome to mornings with carmen thanks so much for having us we're so glad to be here so i am intentionally not giving the subhead away yet just to let you know i'm i'm (laughs) being intentional about that so i would um i'd like for um matt you and Lori to introduce yourselves um to the listening audience here yeah. So, so my name is Matt Krieg, and I am a licensed therapist in the state of Michigan. And Lori and I, well, I'll let Lori introduce herself. Yeah, I am a ministry leader, podcaster, speaker, and travel around the country with a mission to equip the church with a gospel-centered approach to sexuality and marriage. So sexuality and marriage, um, topics that uh, everybody wants to talk about marriage. Not everybody wants to talk publicly about sexuality. Um, and so that is, I think, a critical component part of what you do, Lori, and um, and the comfort level that you have uh, achieved in terms of publicly speaking about something that people often would just prefer to, you know, shove out of the way in terms of the conversations of the day. So um, every person and therefore every marriage, um, every couple is unique But there is something that makes you as a couple and your marriage unique. It's given away in the subhead of the book, but I don't want to read the subhead. I want you to tell people what that uniqueness is. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Uh, Every marriage is impossible and has its challenges, but ours is perhaps, I don't want to say increasingly challenging because I just, I don't don't think that's just true. Uh, But there's a unique aspect to it in that when I struggle with lust, it's toward women. 
So my default sexual attraction is not toward the gender of my spouse. It's not toward men. It's not toward my husband, Matt. It's toward women. And yet God has called me to marriage. And I believe that marriage as defined by God is between a man and a woman. So here I am with these default attractions. And yet here I am called to marriage and therefore to a man. And therefore has God had it just to this man, Matt. So some people spit their coffee out when you said that, and um, <laughs> because they've never heard someone honestly say that, um, and they're feeling it too. So first of all, I want to say to everybody who's listening right now, um, Lori and Matt approach the subject matter in a way that is biblical. It is a way that is it is honest to God, and it is honest to human experience. And so I want to just lead off by saying, um, if if you are where Lori and Matt are, Um, If you are in an impossible marriage because your marriage is described as mixed orientation. So that's the subhead here. An impossible marriage, what our mixed orientation marriage has taught us about love and the gospel. If that's you, I have books to give away. Um, All you have to do is text the word book to 877-933-2484. This is a book about marriage that is honest to God. It's honest to scripture. It's honest to the kingdom. And it's honest to human experience. Um, and so, again, if this is the book you've been waiting for us to talk about because you've never heard anybody talk about this before, and this is where you live, an impossible marriage, what our mixed orientation marriage has taught us about love and the gospel, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Matt, I'm going to jump to you, and um, and I'm going to ask the question that everybody that's listening right now is thinking and wondering um, did you know this going in? And um, does it, you know, how, like how how do you feel about that? Yeah, yeah, I, I did know about it going in. Lori was actually very honest, very open with me from before we even started dating. Um, and so this was not a surprise to me getting into our marriage. Um, I, I think, though, my understanding of kind of the the lack of that natural kind of more just attraction toward toward me specifically was something that over time in our marriage, I started to recognize the depth of it. Um, and so so it has taken a lot of a lot of work. A lot of pain has been in this area, but also a lot of joy. Um, and so, yeah, Lori was very open, very honest. Um, and and I can't imagine myself being married to anyone but her. Um, but it also is is something that, yeah, has caused a lot of a lot of pain in our marriage, but there are other things on, on my side. And if you get into the book, like some of that comes out a little bit, um, a lot of things that I brought into the marriage that also caused a lot of pain. And so it's definitely not a one-sided um, experience of pain in a marriage. All right. You said, um, you said something there that I, I want to, I want to highlight. Um, I can't imagine myself being married to anyone else. That is true of me in my marriage as well. I, I not only, not only, can I not imagine myself being married to anyone else? I wouldn't allow myself to imagine that. That is one of my, I think, key commitments in marriage as a Christian is, um, is this is the person with whom I'm walking all the way home to the father's house. Um, mm-hmm. And he can live in that security no matter what else is flitting around in my mind in a given moment. In a given moment. I'm, this is my person with whom I am walking all the way home to the father's house. This is my brother in Christ. Um, God has knit us together in a way that only God could. Um, and, and so I appreciate, um, that we can freely talk about the reality that marriage is, 
um, it's hard um, because mm-hmm. we're we're all living a long way from Eden. Like, right, we're all living a very long way from the way God made Adam and Eve uniquely for one another and, you know, and they cleaved to one another. So um, so I just I appreciate the freedom with which you guys talk about this subject matter. Um, the book is excellent. Um, mm-hmm. And let me let me just again say to our listeners the book is An Impossible Marriage, What Our Mixed Orientation Marriage Has Taught Us About Love and the Gospel. If you're interested in a copy, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, all right, listeners um, want to know, do you guys have kids? Yes. Yep. Yeah, we okay. have three kids. Um, so here's then the next question. Six. So you've had sex. I'm telling you, I'm asking you, I realize you're saying these are such like pedestrian questions. These are the questions that people are now asking in their minds. And so it's my job to ask them publicly on air. Good. Uh, Yeah, so we have. And the questions you hear us answering and asking in the book are those semi-awkward ones that you ask that we get asked either verbally or silently Mm -hmm. uh, by inference through, (laughs) do you have kids? But a main question we ask in the book is, what is the purpose of male-female marriage? Mm -hmm. Not what are the arguments against same-sex marriage? Those arguments did not save our marriage when it got to the edge of being done. And then we're also asking, what is the purpose of sex in marriage? What's the big gospel picture? And those are those are ones that we both had to unpack, Matt and I, from different sides of the question. Purpose of male-female marriage, purpose of sex in marriage, gets us to one of the quotes that I wrote down. Sex is not the primary glue of marriage. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Matt, you want to start? I, I mean... Sex is sex is important. Um, it it does something in a relationship when it is done in a in a covenant marriage that is kind of this renewal of commitment and and showing of love to the other person. But so often I feel like when people say that sex is the glue that holds marriage together, it it becomes this focal point. It becomes this end game. Um, and and as a as a guy who might more naturally be predisposed to look at sex as an idol. Um, that's a dangerous thing for me to believe. And that's a dangerous thing for me to bring into my marriage, especially with someone like Lori, who um, through her own experience looked at sex in general as a fearful thing. Um, and so for, for our marriage in particular, sex could not be the glue that held us together because that was, A, I don't think it's biblical, and, and B, it, it just it put too much pressure and it caused me to look at Lori to, to be my need meter when God is supposed to be that. And if I could jump in real quick, the fearful thing wasn't just because, Oh, well, she's attracted to the same sex. And then there's this scary man. You read in the pages as the story goes on, the tune, the tone shifts and the focus shifts more toward this suppressed childhood trauma that I had had Mm -hmm. uh, when I was very young. And so the fear part came from the trauma, not the attractions to the same sex. I just want to make that clear. Yeah, that is, that's, um, thank you so much. Um, it, you guys are so vulnerable in this book, and I appreciate you being vulnerable in this conversation today. We're going to uh, return to this conversation with Matt and Lori Krieg in just a moment. The book is uh, An Impossible Marriage, What Our Mixed Orientation Marriage Has Taught Us About Love and the Gospel. We'll be right back. I can that day comes. 
continue my conversation with Lori and Matt Krieg. Um, hey, where can folks find you online? What's the, what's yeah, the best way for people to connect go, with you? You can go to uh, lauriekrieg.com. That's L-A-U-R-I-E-K-R-I-E-G or type all those letters in. Lots of vowels. Lori Krieg uh, at Instagram is where I'm the most active. And you can I'll link you up to Matt, too, if you want to chat with him. Oh, great. And I know we can find Matt also at caringwell.net. Um, which I genuinely appreciate as well. Um, okay, so we're going to continue our conversation now with Matt and Lori. So the 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 book is about the impossibility of every marriage, um, and every marriage set apart from Christ is impossible. Like the only way that any of us can function in a marriage is in Christ. So talk about the marriage metaphor that you guys lift up and explore in the book. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, we, you know, when we were asked to write this book, it was about a mixed orientation marriage, and we wanted to share our story, sure, but only if we could use our story as a lens with which to look at all marriage and really um, the marriage between Christ and the church. So, you know, I said the book asks and seeks to answer what is the purpose of male-female marriage and then what's the purpose of sex in marriage. Um, and that first one was so critical for me. Uh, the story begins with me considering leaving Matt. Um, I didn't have someone on the side. It was just this like, you know, I, I can get a get out of marriage free card pretty quickly from both Christians and non-Christians uh, because of the attractions to the same sex. Like I could easily have someone be like, oh, sure, you can get out. But after recommitting to God uh, through an encounter with him, you hear in chapter one, I needed to understand the theology of marriage. And again, not the arguments against same-sex marriage, but I started looking around at my like straight friends and I was like, does everybody hate each other? Because y'all are asking the same things I am. The women seem to be rolling their eyes at their husband. The husband seems to be rolling his eyes at his wives and everything seems to be like a bid for sex and nobody's like actually experiencing unity oneness. Like I didn't understand it. It just felt like everyone was staying in their marriages or in my mind, everyone, most people for the kids or cause quote unquote, God hates divorce, which he does, but it didn't seem like flourishing. So when I started God through his word in Ephesians five, I'd read it a bajillion times, heard a million sermons, but Ephesians five, 31 to 32, God's inspired words stood out to me where it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and you be united to his wife and they, the two shall become one flesh. This is a great, this is a profound mystery. And I'm talking about Christ in the church. And I don't know, but God, his spirit through his word just struck me as I read it, as I was wrestling with staying in my marriage. And it woke up this reality that men and women, yeah, are so different. Hence the jokes, the Venus and Mars and, you know, the she sheds and the man caves and sports versus Etsy or whatever. Sure, we're so different, but how different is God from humanity? This is a profound mystery. Ephesians 121 says he is far above every ruler, power, and authority, not only in this world, but in the world to come. So as we're rolling at our eyes at the opposite sex, sometimes some of us can do that and be like, oh, well, the old ball and chain. Instead of doing that, 
it's not a cosmic joke that God, if he calls you to marriage, he calls you to someone so different from you. It's not a cosmic joke or cosmic punishment. It's cosmic design because, and yes, how different men and women are, it's true. But how different is God from humanity? And yet he will marry us. So when we die to self to be one with our spouse, we show the world how Jesus died to be one with us and how we are to die daily to experience increasing oneness with him. Our marriages preach the gospel 24-7. And we, in our marriages, first of all, Paul, go ahead and just clip that out as whatever sort of highlight we're using for the week. Um Paul's the producer sitting behind the scenes right now, making sure that audio is captured for like all eternity Um, because, well, because you have, you have spoken um, a gospel truth. Mm. And so often we allow what the world, how the world jokes around about um, sex and sexuality and people's bodies and, uh, and marriage. We, we as Christians make the very, I mean, just awful mistake of mm. publicly humiliating marriage, which yep. God has given us um, not only as a great gift, but a sacred trust and a an absolute gospel message to the world. And mm. we have corrupted it. And yeah. so I just thank you. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for honoring marriage, for helping yeah. us understand how it is held in honor between the two of you for helping us understand how it is held in honor publicly um, mm-hmm. and for helping us understand how my my esteeming your marriage is as important as my esteeming my own marriage. Like, I need to not only hold my own marriage in honor, I need to yeah. hold the marriage of other Christians in honor. Amen. And that's, you know, I'm not, I'm you know, in the same way you're not going to flirt with my husband, I'm not flirting with yours. Like, right? It's a, right. Um, and that has nothing to do with who's attracted to who. That has mm-hmm. everything to do with honoring um, who God is in all of this and how he has made us and the gift of marriage that he has given to us. I want to, I just want to thank both of you for the courage it took to write the book, yeah. for the courage that it takes to do what you're doing publicly. Um, and then just to acknowledge, there's just a, probably a lot of people like Nicodemus, coming to you, knocking on your door under the cover of darkness. <laughs> and and I want to acknowledge that. Every day, every day they're coming to us, and we are so grateful for every middle-of-the-night message of thank you. Thank you for seeing us, because we see you guys, too. Well, we see you, Lori and Matt Krieg. Um, thank you for uh, the honor of this conversation Thank you for the book, An Impossible Marriage. Um, Thank you for doing what you do each and every day in the body of Christ, um, because this is essential work. And this is particularly essential work in this generation. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. Praise God. Yeah, thank you for having us on. It's definitely encouraging and a pleasure to be here. Well, likewise. Lori and Matt Krieg, have a great day. Thank you so much. You too. We'll be right back. This is a Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. I'm Paul Perot, her producer. She's got the day off. She's got the week off apart from a special live stream event. We'll talk a bit more toward the end of this hour. But coming up next here on Mornings with Carmen, okay, hopefully you're a believer in Jesus and the gospel. 
So how do you identify yourself? Maybe you're a Christian, you say, or a Jesus follower. Those are pretty common. But do you identify yourself as a saint? If not, why not? This past spring, Carmen talked with Addison Bevere. He's the author of a book called Saints. My wife and I went through that book together, loved it. We'll hear the conversation between Carmen and Addison shortly here on Faith Radio. This is Max Licato. No words written on paper will ever sustain you like the promises of God. Do you know them? To the bereaved, God promises, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. To the besieged, God promises, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. To the sick, God promises, the Lord sustains them on their sick bed and restores them from their bed of illness. To the sinner, my grace is sufficient for you. And when fears surface, respond with this thought, but God said, and when doubts arise, but God said, and when guilt overwhelms you, but God said, search the scriptures for promises like a miner digging for gold. And once you find a nugget, grasp it, trust it, for there is no greater treasure. This is Max. Locato. Your plans will prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fight and the flood. All right, joining me now, Addison Bevere. You can actually find him at Addison Bevere, B E V E R E dot com. He is here to share with us today his new book, Saints Becoming More Than Christians. Addison, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, thank you so much for having me. Okay, so I want to start with um, with a with a question that I know you have heard before. Um, what kind of religious practice do you follow? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do I do consider myself a follower of Jesus, but if I'm honest, Carmen, I haven't liked calling myself a quote unquote Christian for a long time, and it's not that I'm ashamed of Jesus. It's not that I'm ashamed of the gospel message. But I don't like being associated with the stigmas and the stereotypes and the labels that have been connected with this idea of being a cultural Christian. I think we've lost sight of the mystery and the purpose and the wonder of what it means to follow Jesus. And because of that, we've modeled something that's so small, and it's not something that our world is looking for. And because of that, they're turning to DIY spirituality and to other spiritual practices. So I want to um, I want to ask you about sort of these negative stigmas and stereotypes that are attached to the label yeah. Christian. We probably have a lot of people listening right now who have never given never given this a second thought. When they're asked, they they <laughs> so, say they're Christians, and they're um, they don't have any sense that that has any negative connotation in the culture. Talk about how sure. that word is heard among a non believing people. Yeah. So. Like I, I have a friend, um, I work out with him and, um, he's a trainer at the gym that I'm at. And a couple years ago he came up to me and he just said, Hey, I, I want you to know that you're one of two real Christians I've ever met. And, and he said, I heard, I heard you're writing a book. He's like, I can't wait to read it. And this is someone who grew up in the Midwest. This is someone who grew up in a quote unquote Christian environment and yet his whole life, he's seen um, these behaviors and this this idea modeled that um, that's very contrary to what he knows. Scripture tells us if you, Carmen, if you just go to Google and if you 
Google Christians are, you're going to find words like judgmental, hypocritical, backwards, uneducated. And when I look at the life of Jesus, I see someone who the world was attracted to. Now, that, that doesn't mean that he compromised. That doesn't mean that um, he, he did things the world expected him um, to do them. But he lived a life that caused people to turn their heads and be like, man, there's something different about you. Like You have peace when no one else has peace. You have joy when no one else has joy. You, you are living for something greater than yourself. I want to know what you tapped into. Because you and I both know like our world is looking for something more. Our world is craving the good life. Our world is craving an idea of, of uh, flourishing that they've been looking for since the beginning of time. And we as the followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be the ones who have tapped into the one who is life and live from that place of hope and strength. I'm talking with Addison Bevere. You, you should check out his website, Addison Bevere. Bevere is B-E-V-E-R-E dot com. The book is Saints, Becoming More Than Christians. Um, tell us about the word saint specifically. Yeah. So it's one of those words that that we don't use very often, or if we do use it, we only use it in certain circles. But if you look at the New Testament, Carmen, the word Christian is used only three times, but the word saint, hagios in the Greek, is used over 60 times. So it was the identifier of the early church. So when the early church was subverting cultural norms, when they were turning the world upside down, when they were reconciling groups of people that, quote unquote, didn't belong together, they were identified as saints. In fact, if you look at Acts 11, where the word Christian is first used, most scholars believe, probably nine out of 10 scholars believe that it was used in a derogatory sense. Now, I'm not... I'm not campaigning against the term Christian, but I am saying that it has become too cheap and too familiar. It's become a cultural idea. People have lost um, lost the sense of purpose that it was supposed to carry, is supposed to represent. And that's why I'm suggesting we go back to a different identifier, an identifier that really started the revolution. And if you look at passages like um, Daniel 7, you see this idea that saints are the people of the kingdom. Saints are people who break down the barriers between the secular and sacred. Saints are the people who realize that God's heart, his kingdom message, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom reclaims every inch of our world. And they live in that reality. And what that causes us to do is it causes us to see the mundane as meaningful. It causes us to see each and every moment as holy, which is what Paul invited us to do in 1 Corinthians 3 when he says, you are God's temple. In other words, you are the place where heaven meets earth. Everywhere you go, you are bringing that heaven reality with you. And that is the life of purpose and meaning that we crave. I want to talk, um, I want to talk more about that. I want to pull that apart a little bit. Um, when, we, yeah. when we dive deeply into what the scriptures say about the word saint and how the early Christians um, were described in this way and referred to one another in this way, I'm just wondering, like, practically in your life, as you have... Um, yeah. As God has made you like more and more aware of this, and you have sort of embraced this as the core identity of what it means to be a Christ follower and a Christ ambassador in this, uh, you know, in this day and time, has there been has there been a change in language for you in terms of how you talk with other Christians? Uh, I mean, maybe that's even the language I'm supposed to be using. Help me out here. <laughs> yeah. And okay. So again, let's go back to original use because we, we use saint in a way to canonize or to honor or venerate people who lived a good life and died. But if you look at how it was used, it was used in a way to energize the present, to give meaning to the present. And think about 
the way Paul would use it in his letters. Uh, he would write to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Philippi, to the saints in Rome. He was writing to, quote unquote, Gentiles. He was writing to people who were newly saved, and he was calling them saints. He was saying, hey, this is who you are. And because this is who you are, this identifier is going to reshape everything that you do. It's going to change your presence in the city that you find yourself in. And so for me, Carmen, when when we look at our world right now, right, obviously our world is in a, in a, a state of chaos, in a state of crisis. Like our world needs us to tap into uh, a vision, to tap into a hope that's greater than this moment. Our world needs us to see beyond the pandemonium that, that we find ourselves in now. Our world needs us to not shrink back, as it says in Hebrews 10. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. And saints are people who capture a vision that is bigger than the present. When you look at Hebrews 11, you find men and women who the, the world, quote unquote, wasn't worthy of. That's what it says in verse 34. But because the, they, the world wasn't worthy of them, they were exactly what the world needed. They were people who could see the unseen. And because they could see the unseen, they were able to create practical demonstrations of God's goodness, the revelation of his will, of his heart, of his purpose in their everyday lives, thus moving the world into the promised reality that God always speaks over our world. That day when every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess, every eye will see. That day when the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's what it means to be a saint. And I'm concerned that this idea of Christian has become so individualistic. It's my salvation. It's my condemnation free living. It's my ticket into heaven. It's my personal journey. Whereas if you look at this idea of saint, it required us to see the world bigger than ourselves. And by seeing the world bigger than ourselves, which is really the whole gospel message, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. When we see the world bigger than ourselves, we tap into a purpose. We tap into a community. We tap into a mission that fills our souls, that gives us everything that we crave as followers of Jesus. All right, I am talking with Addison Bevere. We are talking about his book, Saints, Becoming More Than Christians. I encourage you to check out his website, Addison Bevere, B-E-V-E-R-E. Yes, the same way uh, that you have thought about Lisa spelling her last name. I'm going to ask him a question about his mom in just a minute. We'll be right back. I'm talking with Addison Bevere. He is the author of Saints, Becoming More Than Christians. He's also the co-founder of SonsAndDaughters.tv. And uh, he works with an organization called Messenger International. It's an organization impacting millions of people in over 150 countries through its um, various initiatives and ministries. And you may know the name of his mom, Lisa Bevere. Um, So, Addison, I'm just going to be bold and ask... Um, what would what yeah. would you say is like, you know, you grew up with a kind of a famous Christian mom, which seems like maybe a strange thing to say. Right. Um, but tell us how how you think that has influenced your own journey of faith. Yeah. Well, my mom, I mean, my mom's phenomenal. And my mom would always declare over us. We there's four of us, four boys declare of us that we were created for signs and wonders. And she she made us believe that that God would do something extraordinary 
through our lives. And the extraordinary happens through the everyday. You know that. It happens in the mundane. Like we have these ideas of impact that are abstractions that that remove us from our everyday lives. But God moves in the everyday. That's why Jesus came and walked our roads. He sweat our sweat. He bled our blood. He cried our tears. Like he moved into our everyday lives. And so that was that was huge. That was something that she spoke over us and it was something that she modeled. Um, with the way she was committed to us and the way she did ministry on a large scale, but also the way she did it at home. And, uh, and so, yeah, she, she made us, she made us believe in the pot the, in the impossible from a very young age. Um, what, what has her reaction and response? I mean, let me just read, um, I'll read one of the things that she has said, um, describing herself yeah. as a ridiculously proud mom. In a t- this is about your book. In a time when so many young <laughs> yeah. men are deconstructing the sacred, Addison has leaned into it. I am challenged, corrected, and lifted by saints. Saints is the book that we're talking about today. Um, and those are the words of Lisa Bevere about Addison Bevere. Um, when she talks about young men deconstructing the sacred, you know, she is pointing to something that's happening in our culture um, that right. many of us are aware of, and many of us also don't quite know how to answer. Um, you you really provide an answer to that in this book. I do, and and I want to I want to give fresh language for a world losing hope and religion. And one of the things that we can't do, Carmen, is we can't get on the sidelines and throw stones at what has been. That's a that's a cheap way to validate what will be to dishonor what has been, and and that's what. Our generation has a tendency to do. I'm in my mid 30s, and um, and so for me, the way that I'm looking at it is when I study church history, I see that prophetic disruption always comes from within, and so there's no there's no question that millennials have left the church and aren't aren't coming back for the most part. So every generation has a season where it leaves the church, but then normally a, a large majority of that generation comes back to the church. We're not seeing that same trend with millennials. And um, it's it's an interesting phenomenon. And I do think there are a lot of reasons for that. And it's easy to point to the church and be like, well, the church is broken and that's why it's happening. But I, I actually don't think that's the case. The church has been broken since day one. Just look at Paul's letters. I think what's happening is we live in a big world. We live in a world that's asking very hard questions. We live in a world where information is passed from one person to the next, like never before. Ideas are populated and and spread like never before. And I think the gospel message and the God that we're quote unquote offering is too small for our big world. Now, notice I did not say that God is too small. I did not say the gospel is too small. But I think our idea, our caricature of God and the gospel message is too small for our big world. I was um, I was at an event this past week, um, and my mom was actually speaking at the event too. We were both speaking at it. It was an international summit, and I and I taught on this idea of saints, and we had all the generations there. We had, I don't know how many nations there, but a lot of nations represented. And after I shared my mom, she's so sweet. Like she was in tears and was so moved by the message. And I came, I came off the, came off the platform and the gentleman who was sitting next to me, one of the other speakers, he just looked at me and he said, he's like, this could start a revolution. He's like, this could start a movement. And I, and I looked at him like, you know, that's my heart. 
That's my prayer because we need that. We need people to have a fresh look at what it means to be the people of God. Like we have watered down what it is to follow Jesus. And what we've done is we haven't given people something worth dying for. And when you don't give people something worth dying for, they're never going to find something worth living for. And I think in our attempts to make the gospel more, quote unquote, accessible, we've reduced it to something that really has no bearing, really has no meaning in our everyday lives. So people, they view, you know, their their Sunday as their sacred day. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they live their real lives and they don't see how those two merge. And when I look at scripture, when I look at passages like Ephesians 4 verses 11 and 12, I see that the purpose of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which means every single one of us, regardless of where we're called, regardless of whether we're stay-at-home parents or we're scientists or we're mechanics or we're baristas, whatever it is, like wherever we're called, we're called to be saints. We're called to be people who practice and participate in the mystery of the final day. Um, recently, I was at Staples. I was getting that TSA pre-check thing done. And the young lady um, who was who was working there, she asked me, she's like, so what do you do for a living? And I started sharing it with her. And she said, man, that's so cool. It's so cool that you do something meaningful. She's like, I just work at Staples. And I looked at her, Carmen, and before I knew it was coming out of my mouth, this is what came out of my mouth. I said, that's the great live human existence. And she was just like, what? <laughs> and I was like, that's the great live human existence. And I was like, I'm going to have to explain what I mean by that because I don't, I don't know this girl. I have no idea what her background is. And I just started sharing with her about God's design for relationship and how God works through relationship, relationships and how God's kingdom has always advanced through relationship. First, God reconciling us to him and then positioning us as his saints, as his ambassadors to reconcile the world to God. And I started talking about that idea to her and talking about how that moves into the mundane in our everyday lives. And then she just... And then I was quiet and she didn't say anything. She like looked at me. It felt like two minutes. It was probably like 10 seconds. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, okay. And she just said, thank you. I've never viewed my life like that. I've never viewed God like that. And she said, you've made my week. Thank mm. you. And I said, and then we talked a little bit more after that. It's just, people are looking for hope. And Carmen, there's a reason why people are chasing this idea of the good life. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that eternity was written on our hearts. There's an expansiveness inside all of us that cannot be denied. And that's why I believe the good life, it isn't something you find. It isn't something that you create at the altars of sex stuff and status. The good life is someone you become. And that journey of becoming, the journey of understanding what it is to be a saint, what it is to be sons and daughters of God, what it is to be people who, as Peter writes, who um, who tap into the divine nature, they, they, they become aware of what it is to be the children of God. Like that is the life that we crave. That is the life we're looking for. And nothing else will satisfy that longing. All right. My listeners have just fallen in love with you. Um, they are uh, they are declaring um, God's goodness and appreciation to the heavens for you. Um, so, Addison, let me just say thank you uh, on behalf of, you know, everybody that's listening right now and those who will listen later via the podcast. You um, you are walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that is precious. That is precious in God's sight. And it is a gift wow. to the rest of us. Um, Addison Bevere, check him out at Addison Bevere. Dot com. Also, check out um, uh, the book, Saints Becoming More Than Christians. And I also want you to check out what they're doing at Messenger International. Um, Addison, I hope you'll come back and visit with us again. 
<laughs> Absolutely, Carmen. It was an honor. Thank you so much for having me on. What a pleasure. We'll be right back. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm our producer, Paul Perot, and hope you've been enjoying these best of conversations this holiday week. We'll have a couple more best of shows tomorrow, New Year's Eve day, and on New Year's Day. Carmen will be back on Monday on the show, but hopefully tomorrow night you join her for the special live stream event called Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow. Starts at 7 o'clock Central Time tomorrow night, and Carmen will be joined by some special guests, a time to Pray out the old year, old year that is, and pray in the new year. So again, hope you join us for that tomorrow on Faith Radio's YouTube as well as Facebook channels. All the information at MyFaithRadio.com. And again, since we're in the final couple of days of 2020, if you're making year-end gifts to various organizations, and I hope you do, there's a lot of needs out there. I mentioned a while ago about the Salvation Army being behind on their fundraising, and they've been really stretched. But if you could also make a gift to Faith Radio, as well because we are listener supported the only way we can bring you mornings with carmen and the other faith radio original shows like Susie larson live afternoons with bill and others is through your support you can also make that gift easily right now at myfaithradio.com well i'm paul perot have a great day and hope you join us tomorrow for another best of mornings with carmen laburge here on faith radio Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.